Lamar Caro, and welcome to episode 33 of Caro Pop. Delvon Lamar had been regularly gigging Seattle musician for many years when his wife and now manager, Amy Novo, convinced him to form his own band in 2015. So the Delvon Lamar organ trio was born. Lamar can play pretty much every instrument except one, which he reveals in our conversation. But he's happy behind his 60s Hammond organ, a la Jimmy Smith and Babyface Willette. The Delvon Lamar organ trio sounds like it picks up where Booker T and the MG's melting pot leaves off, crossbred with the meters and rocketed into the 21st century. This is groovy, hot instrumental music that is drawing an increasingly large following on tour and on record. The trio has released three studio albums on the cool retro-modern soul label, Coal Mine, Close But No Cigar, I Told You So, and this year's Cold As Weist. That latest album is named in part after the trio's newest drummer, Dan Weiss, who came from the soul funk band The Sex Tones and knows how to hit the snare. The guitarist, Jimmy James, can sound like he's channeling Steve Cropper one moment and Jimi Hendrix the next. Lamar says the communication between James and him gets telepathic as they're composing new songs or jamming on old ones. There are also two scorching live albums, Live at KEXP and Live in Loveland, the latter of which was a Record Store Day release in April. April. On these recordings, you can hear the trio locking into groove after groove, then stretching out while keeping everything tight. In our conversation, Lamar, who's a great talker, explains why he prefers the trio format, even if that means he's got to play the bass parts on his organ. How does he do that? Does Lamar write more songs on his own or when he's playing with his bandmates? How many of the album's songs resulted from jamming? How important is melody versus rhythm? Lamar discusses the challenge of getting audiences to be emotionally involved in instrumental music, and we dig into the art of naming instrumentals. What's the story behind the Cold as Weiss opener, Pull Your Pants Up? What about Raymond Brings the Greens? Or Faux Show? The trio covers such songs as Curtis Mayfield's Move On Up and George Michael's Careless Whisper. What's the key to choosing a good cover song? Does Lamar ever write songs with lyrics? Spoiler alert, he does. And is working on an album with guest vocalists and a horn section. This soul, jazz, funk, blues band touts itself as specializing in the lost art of feel-good music. But why should that be a lost art? Shouldn't most music make you feel good? He has thoughts about that too. Delvon Lamar is a natural gifted music maker. You'll get joy out of listening to him play and listening to him speak in this Carol Pop conversation. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I've really been enjoying uh, enjoying these albums of yours. Um, I've been listening to a lot of kind of 60s, 70s soul lately, and I've always been, you know, just the, you know, into sort of the aesthetic of like Booker T and the Booker T AMGs and the meters and, and other stuff. And, uh, and what you're doing is, is just taking it to like the next step. Like if Booker T and the MGs hadn't, you know, had kept making albums right after melting pot, that album, it seems yeah. like you're raising it to that next level. So. Well, man, thank you. We, we uh, <laughs> decided to carry the torch. <laughs> I have a friend who saw you guys and I'm mad that I missed it. Cause you played at space uh, here in Evanston. Mm-hmm. Um, I live pretty close to there. And they said it was one of the loudest shows they've gone to and it surprised him because he thought oh you know it's like a this nice you know organ-led trio uh but he said that it was uh you guys really blasted it he said you brought your own sound person <laughs> we uh we um we are not the quietest band i'll tell you that <laughs> so now is that an intentional thing on your part have you always thought no we're gonna be a live band loud band no, it just it just kind of happens, you know. Uh, Jimmy, one of the things about Jimmy James is uh, he doesn't use guitar effects; it's all straight guitar amp. So, in order to get the amp to distort, you kind of got to turn it up, <laughs> and uh, so it's the natural tube breakup. And with that, you know, that's it. Just happens, and Dan has like the loudest snare drum hit I think I've ever heard. <laughs> I've been at Elvin Jones shows. I don't know if you, a lot of people may not be familiar with Elvin Jones, but he was a drummer for John Coltrane a long time. Right. And, uh, I used to go when I was young, cause I was a young drummer back then. I used to go to Elvin Jones show. And one time I got to sit right, literally 
underneath his snare drum and then it was loud. And so I think Dan is comparable to that. <laughs> well, you, you being a drummer, it would probably make sense that you're used to music being pretty loud also. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. I can't hear. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you formed the Delvon Lamar organ trio or DLO three, uh, with 2015, right? Um, yeah. How, how long had you been playing before then just, you know, a sort of a side person and just, you know, being out playing music? Oh man. Uh, it's been, um, I've been doing this since high school. Uh, you know, I had a little jazz bands back in high school and just kind of dragging around drums and trumpets and organs since then. But uh, the creation of Delvon Lamar organ trio wasn't actually me. I didn't do it. Uh, it's, it was my wife, uh, right. Amy, Amy Noble. She's the one that like 2015, she was like, dude, you know, you got to do something else. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like dragging around organ, 400 pound organs. And you know, I was broke. <laughs> I wasn't making any money just playing in circles, you know, but so like the whole concept was all her. I, I don't take any credit for that. Yeah. Well, how long, had, how long had you been doing that thing with, you know, carrying your organ around and playing side gigs everywhere? Oh man, I started playing organ. <laughs> Probably around like when I was 22, 23, um, you know, at some point I didn't even have a van to carry it in. I used to rent U-Haul trucks <laughs> just to get the organ to the gig. I wanted to play. So I did whatever I had to do. All right. So how old are you now? I am 43, getting ready to be 44 in August. So you've been doing this for a long time before you, you formed the band. Yeah. Had you had you written music before then, or you know, were you sort of more just sort of concentrating on the plane? Oh no, I've written. I've I've got so much music that I've written since junior high school. Really, you know, I've always been a music writer. Um, I just didn't really have an avenue to have that music heard. In fact, some of these songs came from uh, ideas that I've had back back then. You know, so it's always the writing has always been there for me. So how are you writing back then? Were you writing on organ or were you writing on piano, guitar in your head? Trumpet, <laughs> writing it all on trumpet. I come up with these grooves and back in the day, I used to play the bass line that I was hearing on the trumpet and like get the idea to like the bass player, things like that. Uh, but you know, I've been in music, like around music my entire life. My mom was a singer. Uh, my brother, he's been like making hip hop, you know, making beats since he was 15. He had a little studio when he was 15, making like samples and had thousands of records. And um, so it's kind of, you know, music has always been there for me. So... Were you writing songs with lyrics back then too? No, no. Actually, uh, the first lyric I've ever written was actually in 2020. Because <laughs> we're working on a new uh, another project. Uh, it's going to be a recording project um, called D-Lo 3 and Friends. And what is right, going to incorporate? Saw about that. Yeah, it's just going to incorporate people from around the world that we've met, and you know. And uh, I'm actually going to be doing a little singing. And, uh, so that's new <laughs> and, uh, and I've been writing a lot of lyrics. I've probably written like maybe 10, 15 songs at this point, which has never happened. Do you have specific influences for the lyrics as a part to the influences for the music? Um, some of it is personal experience, but sometimes a, a lot of it is, uh, I don't know. I look at like other people's situations and, uh, I write songs based off of, I was them, right. you know, or in that situation, even though I wasn't in that situation, but I understand it and I can, uh, you know, and so I don't know. It's like writing music in the third person, you know, 
So I found that interesting, interesting. And, uh, yeah, cause you know, lyrics don't have to be your personal experience. You can speak for others. And that's, that's the thing. And that's kind of one of the things I try to do when writing the lyrics. Well, I saw an interview with you where you're talking about how you, you feel like some people have a hard time relating to instrumental music. And uh, do you feel like you want to have sort of both sides of that now where you have your instrumental music, but also the music where you're expressing stuff through words as well? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, and that's one of the things like, uh, you know, like you're touching on like being instrumental, like when I've said this before was, uh, you know, it's the, one of the reasons I play the way I play is uh, I try to keep it simple and melodic. And that's my thing. I try to play the organ as if somebody's singing it. And, uh, and you know, now that I'm writing lyrics, it opened up, kind of even further in my playing is like, uh, I don't really know how to explain it. <laughs> but, Do you end up coming up with sort of a different organ line for a song where there are lyrics? Cause maybe the melody of the, the singing is going to be what you would have been playing on the organ. Yeah. A little bit. Um, when I, uh, write the lyrics, it's almost coming cause since it's still new to me, uh, it's almost coming from the way the lyrics come from the way I would try to phrase it on the organ. It's kind of weird. I don't know if that's weird or not, but I've been so used to playing like melodic lines, like melodies with the, you know, with trying to cater to the way somebody sings it. And now I'm writing lyrics. I kind of write the lyrics as if I was playing it on the organ. I don't know if that's weird. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like, it sounds like a good uh, process to you, especially given where you're coming from, where you're writing these very melodic organ lines uh, yeah. to go on top of the, these rhythms anyway. It sounds like you were pretty much of a natural with instruments. Like you sort of picked up trumpet and drums without really trying that hard when you were in school. Yeah. Yeah. The only instrument I, I haven't figured out is the guitar. <laughs> I cannot play that thing. And I don't know why I play bass. I play upright bass. I can play violin, I trumpet, flute, saxophones, you name it. I can play all of it. I can't mess with a guitar. I don't know why <laughs> it's the weird, awkward. It's completely awkward. And I don't know. It just feels wrong when I play it. <laughs> so stand up bass. Yes. But bass guitar. No. Yeah, I can play bass guitar. I can play bass guitar. I just can't play a six string guitar. <laughs> I just can't do it. I don't know what it is about that thing. I just, I even bought a guitar and, uh, I've had it, I don't know, for years. Still can't play it. <laughs> and you play violin also? I can. Yes. What do you think that is? I mean, you, you, cause it, cause it sounds like you just sort of pick up an instrument. It's like, Oh, you figured it out. Is that just sort of a something you were born with, you think, or what? Yeah, I think I, I was pretty much born with that. I mean, there's really no other explanation. If I see it, I can do it. And uh, But with the guitar, I think it's mechanical. It's like trying to get your hands to do these weird, <laughs> like, I, my hand just doesn't want to do that. So with the bass, you know, you want one string, sometimes two strings at the same time. Uh, I mean, some like really good bass players know how to do all that. The multi string like stuff. I can't do that. But as far as playing bass lines and getting like good tones and sounds out of it, I can do that. I can play a bass solo, but just some weird thing with guitar and like these hand positions and trying to get like certain notes without getting the other note to, you know, right. it's, it's completely awkward and weird. And you gotta get those calluses on your fingertips too. So yeah. maybe that's, that's what I'm missing. I got to work on the calluses. <laughs> well, so given that you play all of these instruments and you played a lot of drums too, how is it that you landed on organ as your primary instrument? Uh, it was a complete chance, you know, uh, uh, some may know the story already, but I'll, I'll tell it again. But, um, I, you know, being a drummer, uh, for a long time, I, I used to get calls for people, you know, just kind of sit-ins and, you know, one-nighters 
And uh, I remember getting a call from a friend of mine. His name is Dan Heck, was a guitar player. Um, he had a trio uh, with the organist, Joe Doria. And uh, they used to play this club called the Art Bar in Seattle every Wednesday night. And uh, their drummer had went on tour with another band. And so they ended up calling me. And so I was just doing that for a year. Now I've never seen anybody play the organ like Joe did. It was, uh, you know, I grew up in church. Uh, there was an organ, a pastor's wife played <laughs> that organ, but I back when I was going to church, I wasn't really into music or not yet. And so watching Joe play that uh, organ, I was just like, man, this is pretty incredible. I've never seen didn't know anything about it. Like I hear organ and music, but I didn't know that's, <laughs> that's what you do with it. And so I was, uh, I was pretty fascinated by it. One day a drummer comes and sits in on the drums and I just asked Joe if I can play it. So, um, I literally played the organ or learned how to play the organ just by watching Joe do it every week. Wow. You know, man, I sat down at that organ and I played the foot pedals and all just right out the gate. And so I always tell people the organ chose me because like who sits down in an organ and start playing pedal <laughs> bass and everything else that, that hardly ever happens. You know, had you, so. had you played piano before that? No, not really. I remember we had a piano when we were young and I think it was in the house we moved in. It was in the basement, but it was all beat up and keys were stuck. So I never really messed with it. Every now and then I go poke some notes at it, but it didn't work good enough for us to actually play it. And at the same time, when I, that was the house we, I started getting into music in, uh, it was about junior high school. And, uh, I ended up playing saxophone. I, my brother ended up giving me a cassette tape. Uh, he was like, here, I think you're going to like this. And it was a cassette tape, the best of John Coltrane. And the first track on there was my favorite things. And I listened to that and I just instantly fell in love with jazz. And, uh, my, <laughs> so I went to my mom, I was like, mom, I want to play saxophone. And she was super stoked because my mom loves the saxophone. And so as soon as I said saxophone, she's like, I'm getting you one. And she went and got me a tenor saxophone. I played it for like six months. And then I started playing other things. <laughs> <laughs> she was not happy with that. Well, but, you were doing trumpet too. Is that before or after the sax? Uh, that was after the sax. So the first instrument I ever actually played was, uh, a baritone horn. And, uh, and how that came about is, uh, in junior high school, we had to pick an elective class. It was either cooking or, you know, guitar or piano. And I'd like back then I wasn't really into music. So I was like, I don't want to do any of it. So I just kind of picked a guitar and, you know, I pretty much just sat in the classroom. I wasn't really doing anything. <laughs> so, but one day when I was in there, uh, I saw a big horn on the floor. I didn't even know what it was. And I, I lied to my band teacher. I was like, I know how to play that. He was like, good, I'll put you in band. And so <laughs> the next semester he put me in band and I literally picked his horn up and I looked at the guy next to me. I saw what he was doing. I just started playing with that guy played. So like again, another instrument that I just picked up and just naturally played. And so I used to go into the back of the band room where all the instruments are. And I used to put them together It's pretty gross nowadays, <laughs> but, uh, I used to put them together and I used to just play them. And that's how I knew I can play any instrument. I pretty much put together every instrument in the, in the back room and just naturally wherever to play them. Like I can nice. get songs out of them. So even though I didn't know what I was doing, but I made it sound good. So why of all of them, do you like the organ the most? I like the organ. Uh, it's, it's such an expressive instrument, you know, uh, you can make it sound like anything. Like it can be super aggressive. It can be hard. It can be rock. Uh, 
or it can be beautiful and classical, gentle, soft, you know, all that. It has like every range of dynamic. Um, and so that is one of the things I really like about the organ is like, you can make it sound beautiful or you can just rock out on it. You know, right. <laughs> you know, it's like super expressive and like, uh, I don't know. Well, it's also, it also carves out its own space. It's like, if you have a guitar going, you know, you could have two guitars going and you sort of have to listen maybe carefully, which one's the one, but you know, you could be going full tilt and Jimmy James could be going full tilt on the guitar and you know, which instrument is which like there's plenty of space for each of you. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I love it from, from the first, first sight. I loved it. You know, even just uh, like the mechanics of it, the, like one of the things I really like about the organ and the reason why I really like doing trio stuff when I'm playing the bass is because I can manipulate the music, you know, I can literally like just change the song. We do it all the time. Cause like, we'll be grooving one song and then I get an idea and I just like, all right, I'm gonna do this. And like being that I have control of, <laughs> you know, I basically have control over the direction of the song. And so we'll, I just like play some completely random. We'll go from one of our originals to like the ACDC tune, you know, <laughs> you know, it's just like, I like that. I like that flexibility of being able to keep the music on, on its toes, keep it on the edge. And uh, that's why when you come to our show, never know what you're going to get because we do all kind of stuff. And it really helps that, we all have like the same musical influence, uh, in our background. So like Jimmy would be playing a song and he'd just throw out a quote from a tune. I'd be like, I got you. And I just changed the whole song into what he quoted. And so and then it's like, people be like, Oh wow. They just went from like a tune. They, they were not familiar with to like one of the most popular tunes in the world even if it's just for a second, then we'll bounce back into the original. And uh, I love that aspect that I'm able to do that. And it definitely keeps the music fresh and interesting. So when your wife, Amy, was saying, look, you gotta, you gotta form your own band and not just be a side person on other people's bands, did the two of you immediately think trio or were you thinking, you know, other types of combinations? Well, because I've been doing trio stuff for a long time before Delvon Lamar organ trio, I've had a couple of groups that, uh, you know, I had ripping chicken was a band and Olympic sound collective Southside players. Like all these were like trios. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I just had a, like I, people call me to do other things other than trio stuff, you know, but I really, I think that's where my heart is, is just doing the trio stuff. Like, you know, it's comfortable. And when you have less people, the music can be more unpredictable. Like things can happen mm. at chance and random like it's hard to do that if you got like a six seven piece band you know everybody's gonna have to be on the same page but with the three of us you can just like all right i feel like playing careless whisper <laughs> so we can we can like take the music in that direction and you know or you know like i'll play led zeppelin like and this you can just do that so yeah yeah i mean like with booker t and the mgs it's it's a similar format, except you have, you know, Duck Dunn playing bass instead of Booker T playing bass. Mm -hmm. Did you, did you think about like, Oh, we'd like to have a bass player. Or did you think, no, I want to be in control of that too. It's kind of, it kind of makes it more fun for me. Uh, we have done it a couple of times with bass players. And in fact, we record with our, uh, recorded a couple of tracks with our studio engineer, Jason Gray. Uh, he's a bass player for a band, the polyrhythmics. And, uh, and it, 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 it changes a lot. Even just that little addition will change. I'm not saying it's changing for the better or worse. It's like, in fact, I, I really enjoy playing with like, if the bass player is solid, I really love playing with a bass player. Cause it frees me up. It frees my hands up to like get more experimental with my plan. 
but it does definitely change the sound. It changes the dynamic. And uh, again, like I was saying, it's like when you start adding people, if they're not familiar with like what you do, like me and Jimmy James, uh, I say me and Jimmy, but Dan has kind of the same musical background. But when it comes to me and Jimmy James, like we are all, are all most of our music that we listen to is like the same. It's like our whole life. And so like he will do things that causes me to play off of that. Like we're talking about going into full on other stuff, not just like, Oh, he throws a quote out and then we move on. Like, we literally changed the direction. And like I saying, it's really hard to do that when, uh, when there's like, if you have a bass player, if he's not familiar with that or knowing that that's what you guys do, it's difficult. And so like, we don't rehearse that. I feel if we added people, we would have to start rehearsing that and it wouldn't, right. it wouldn't be as natural. So this is a really sort of a basic one-on-one dumb question but i'm gonna ask anyway so when you're playing organ and you're also doing the bass parts like how is that mechanically working like how are you how are you making that all come off and <laughs> sounding all full um i don't know i think i was probably supposed to be a bass player <laughs> uh but um uh you know when i I try to look at my bass plan on the organ. It kind of like I do with the melody side of the organ. I try to look at it as playing it as if a bass player was playing it, you know? Um, so a lot of things that I do, like I listen to a lot of like James Jamerson, Ron Carter, Paul Chambers, all this stuff like that, Ray Brown. And uh, I picked up some techniques from them even though I'm not playing an actual bass, but uh, I, I picked up some things that they do and incorporated it into my bass playing on the organ. And so um, it, it gives a different feel than a lot of like, like I know there's a lot of organ trios out, out there and a lot of organ players and some that play bass and you know, and I feel, I don't know if I'm right, but I feel like when I play my bass line, it's different from most other organists, uh, because I, maybe it's the approach that I take. Like I don't approach the organ as an organ. I actually, uh, I actually approach the organ as a vocalist and a bass player and a drummer because like I try to do a lot of rhythmic things as well. And I think that's comes from, you know, being, having a drumming background, right. you know, so I don't know, I could just be asking you, but, I, <laughs> 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 but I, that's what I feel. I think the approach is like, I approach it as a multi instrument instrument, you know? And so I don't approach it as like, I'm an organ player. I approach it as like, I'm a bass player. I'm also a singer and I'm a drummer. And so that helps with the rhythmics helps with the melodic and just, and the bass, it's like the feel, you know, and you're good at musical multitasking, obviously, because you're hearing those bass parts <laughs> at the same time you're hearing those melody parts that you're playing, playing up there. So it's a yeah. lot, lot for you to be doing at once. Sometimes my hands get conflicted. <laughs> <laughs> I won't lie, man. There's certain songs like we, we have some songs uh, that are not out yet. That's going to be on our next album that uh, I um like, I came up with this baseline. It was great. And the baseline is great by itself. And then I'm like, well, now I have to like try to put a melody and solo to this at the same time. And that's where it gets like super tricky. <laughs> <laughs> like, especially when the baseline is super specific and you're trying to keep that same pattern at the same time as moving this hand and completely opposing rhythms is, uh, I actually have no idea how to do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, imp I'm impressed. I'm impressed that you can pull it off. And, and, and Dan Weiss is your, your latest drummer and he must be good. Cause you uh, put his name in the title of your latest album, cold as Weiss. Uh, 
how does it how is it the how has it changed your playing or approach uh going from you know working with these different drummers and then landing on him you know uh you know all all musicians have their own style and the way they play and the things they do um and when we started working with dan um he had a certain fire that a lot of other drummers didn't have I'm not saying they were good or bad um but it was just different it's like for one thing i was telling about his snare drum like you come to a live show boy, he's and it doesn't even <laughs> seem like he hits that thing that hard but man it cuts through and so uh, but just his technique and the style, the way he plays, uh, it actually makes me want to try more rhythmic things. Cause I hear what he's doing back there. I'm a drummer. Uh, he always tells people like, man, whenever I make a mistake, Delvon knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but, and I do, I hear, I hear it all. So. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like his touch and his feel, the way he plays, um, it makes me play harder um, because I hear what he's doing. I hear these rhythmic things. And sometimes I want to try that rhythmic pattern that he's doing on the organ. And so he'll do like some little subtle thing that he may not even know he do, but I'm always listening. And so right. I hear it and I'll be like, all right, I'm going to put that what he did into my solo or into my baseline. And, uh, I really like that about him. Like he has these subtle things that like, like I notice, I notice big time. And, uh, yeah, I really like the cat. I like playing with him. He's fun. He's really fun to play with. Do you feel like the songs you're writing are different because of that? I mean, it sounds like they are cause you're coming up with, you know, more rhythmic parts or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like when we started working on the Colas Weiss album, uh, Dan had literally just joined us. Um, he joined us at the beginning of 2020, right when everything started getting shut down. I actually felt bad for the dude because <laughs> so, you know, we uh, we did a an audition in 2019 for drummers and uh, we ended up getting over 160 applicants. Uh, so all these videos are just flooding the emails. And so we, we sat there and started watching these things. And, uh, so at the end we ended up, uh, checking out Dan and, um, and 2020, he was like super stoked. And we were like getting ready. We had all this stuff planned, like, all like we're going to Europe, like four times. And, uh, so he joined us in like February of 2020. And he quit his job and everything. He was like, man, this is what I want to do. This is I always want to do this and yada, yada, yada. And we played four shows and everything got canceled after that. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh, this poor guy, he quit his job and everything. And he was ready to go. But uh, he hung in there. So when we started working on the Cold as Weiss album, most of those songs actually came from live streams when we didn't have any gigs. We, every now and then we would fly, he would live in Reno at the time and we'd fly him up and we would do like a, a little live stream for like two, three days. And, uh, a lot of those songs were just ideas in those live streams and, then we uh, ended up recording them later on that year. So you guys are doing these live streams. Are you all in the same room doing that at the time yep. then? And that's, that's when you're coming up with these songs. Yep. Yeah. We just like, like the, the title track for that album cold as Weiss was actually based off a drum pattern. Like we were just kind of messing around before the live stream started. And uh, we, it was maybe like, 20, 30 minutes before we were actually going to go live. And Dan just starts playing this beat. And I was like, oh, that's a cool beat. And so I started messing around on the organ and I kind of came up with a, a bass line. And then Jimmy James just started noodling around on the guitar and he came up with that melody line. And 
that's how the whole song started, like literally 20, 30 minutes before we actually started a live stream. And then we played it during that live stream and it kind of worked. <laughs> it don't so, always work. <laughs> so what's the proportion of like songs that come together like that, where you're just sort of playing and jamming and then you just hit on something and you like, as opposed to, you know, you're at home, you come up with a song and you bring it in and you say, Hey, I got this, I have this fully formed song or I have this riff. What do you want to do with it? Like that sort of thing. 80, 90%. Like, like I said, most of our songs are written in the studio. Um, like I said, we don't, we because we all used to live in like different areas, different, you know, Dan's in Reno, Seattle and Eastern Washington. It's like, it's, it is difficult to get together. So, uh, most of our writing sessions are at sound checks. Like we write like 80 to 90% of our songs during sound check at clubs. Like, like when we get there, it's like, Oh, I got this groove. Let's check this groove out. And so we're just messing around with that groove. Then we'll play a show. Then the next gig would be like, Oh, I got this other groove. Let's try this and this and that. And sometimes we'll try to connect those two or, you know, we'll just go like a week or a week or two of just all these little grooves and we'll just start mixing and matching what works. Oh, this works with that. This works with that. Let's do this. And then like when we get to the studio, especially on the uh, I Told You So album, like half of those songs were just grooves when we got to the studio. Like we didn't, they were not there. We recorded 27 songs in that session. And out of that 27 songs, maybe 20, 21 of them were just grooves. Like they didn't have a melody. They didn't have anything. So pretty much we'll knock out one song and then we'll get the next groove and we'll be messing around with that groove and try to figure out what to do with it during the studio studio and so that's how all of most of those songs came about and the same thing with uh cold as weiss is like a lot of those songs because that's a part of a 20 i think we recorded 19 or 20 tunes in that session and uh yeah it's just like half of those weren't even songs like on that song uncertainty on the cold as weiss album I actually wrote that while we recorded it. <laughs> it's like it literally wasn't a song until we pushed record. And so well, and your first album, Close But No Cigar, that was like that too? Yep. Yeah. That one we had uh we had some covers that we already played, but uh as far as the originals, I think only two of those original tunes on that album were actually complete when we got there. Even the uh, cover tunes, like when we play uh, Ain't It Funky now on there, we've never actually played it like that. We played it completely different until that studio recording. And then I think David had the ideas like, what if I changed the beat to the original drum beat that from the James Brown recordings? And uh, so basically it's like a hybrid between the James Brown version and the Grant Green version. So it's kind of weird. And we've never done that until that studio recording. When you decide what covers to record, do you just, are you just sort of throwing those out like in sound checks or do you come in and say, okay, I've always wanted to do move on up or careless whisper or, you know, some, one of these other songs, uh, I want to be where you are, which is on the new <laughs> one. Uh, you know, uh, most of the time it comes from like when we're listening to music going to a gig like we'll be in the tour van and it's like somebody's listening to something be like dude we should we should probably play this tune and then we'll like put it on and like you're like all right let's see and we'll kind of figure it out during sound check um you know it just just happens like that's pretty much most of the time what happens do you have other uh, a lot of other covers that you've done live that you thought oh i'm gonna have to put this on an album at some point or Yes. <laughs> and we will, we will record some of it. We were actually kicking around about, uh, kicking around the idea of making like a, a DLO three mixtape It's just like basically a bunch of like eighties covers or something <laughs> like that. Just in like Delvon Lamar Oregon trio style. Uh, we're kicking around that idea. I think it'd be pretty dope. We should probably do that. 
Yeah, I mean, Booker T and the MGs had that entire cover album of Abbey Road, that Macklemore uh-huh. Avenue. And it's yep. just that it's it's almost all the songs from that album, but that's the whole album. And it's really cool, actually. So there's something about like when you when you sort of take a song like like you guys with Careless Whisper, I don't think people would like look at you and go, Oh yeah, you guys are gonna do Careless Whisper, but you totally make it your own. <laughs> oh man, that's actually that's the number one requested songs at live show. Like I, we can't get that and move on up are the two that we actually can't get out of a show without playing. <laughs> Have you tried? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And like, cause sometimes I'd be like, all right, I'm gonna give move on up a break, you know, cause we were playing it like every single show. And like, it seems like whenever I don't play it, somebody in the audience is always yelling it. Like, <laughs> move on up. And same thing with careless whisper is like, all right. So <laughs> I guess I won't retire it. <laughs> so between all the songs that you've recorded and not released and then other stuff that you've written, do you just have this amazing backlog of material at this point? Oh yeah. Like between the D-Lo three and friends and just a regular Delvon Lamar, Oregon trio, probably got 110 songs in the can for waiting to go. That are recorded. Yep. Wow. Yeah, we've been busy over the last couple of years. (laughs) You got to deal with coal mine, like you're just going to put out something every year for the next, you know, 20 years or something? Yeah, Delvon Lamar Oregon Trio will uh, be released on coal mine. Uh, The uh, Delvon Lamar and Friends is actually going to be released by uh, Novo Productions, which is my wife's company. So she's going to put that out. And uh, at some point, whenever I get around to finishing it. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear that about that. She's like, hurry well, up. <laughs> well, I noticed cold as cold as Weiss. There's a song. Keep on keeping on. That's uh, credited to a Novo. Did she write that one? Oh yeah. Start to finish. Um, that was, uh, during, during the, the downtime when we didn't have any gigs and that's one of the, you know, when everything got shut down, it had two effects. Uh, one, it sucked financially because, uh, you know, we make most of our money on the road and touring and stuff like that. So when that, that was a big financial hit, but, uh, one, the, the upside that, that was, man, we pretty much sat around and you got nothing but time to think about music. And so like all the creative juices and songs, we've just been flowing. That's why we have so many songs recorded is like, we just have all this stuff, this material. Like I probably got like 200 song ideas right now, just sitting in my phone, just need to be worked out. (laughs) And, And you know, like hundred and 110 songs, you know, that's already recorded. And, uh, yeah, but one of the things that like it happened to Amy too, she's, that's not the only song she's written. She's written a couple of songs for D-Lo three and friends too. She's written lyrics and, uh, but keep on keeping on was literally all her. Like I went to go visit my daughter in California and I came home and Amy was like, I wrote this song. And she sang it into her little voice recorder. And I was like, cool, let me hear it. And she was so embarrassed about it because she sang it in there. And she's like, I don't want you to hear it. I don't want nobody to hear it. And I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't know it if I don't hear it. So it was like pulling teeth to get her to let me hear it. So she eventually let me hear it. And I was like, oh, that's actually a really cool tune. And so I jumped on a piano and I just kind of listened to it, trying to figure out what she was doing. And uh, that's how the whole song came about. It's like all that stuff, everything in it, she did. Yeah, I was wondering about the the pandemic because for some reason, for some people, it was like a really good time to write. And other people was like, uh, I can't get anything done now. I'm just in brain freeze. <laughs> no, we had the complete opposite, man. It was like we couldn't, I couldn't stop my brain from working. Man, I'd be at three o'clock in the morning. I'd wake up with a song and I'm like grabbing my phone, singing it in the phone. You know, it's just, yeah, it's like literally my brain was in like full motion. Like, and that's the thing is like, we tour so much. Like we, we tour a lot, like, especially in 2019, I think we played for like eight months with like two weeks off, you know? Um, but you know, when you're doing that 
and you're playing so much, you don't really get a chance to like, just sit down and think about things like we're moving. And so things like the music is moving. So it's like, we get to the sound check and this groove groove. And then this next gig groove groove and trying to fit those two together. But now that we're like literally sitting there 24 hours a day with nothing to do is like, you got nothing but time to think. And I've, I feel like I've gotten quite clever in my musical endeavors. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I like and some of the stuff I'm actually impressed that uh, I impressed myself because, you know, I didn't even think I can do that. And it just like happened. So, yeah. Well, given all the instruments that you play, did you ever try to do that kind of one man band recording thing where you were, you know, isolated anyway, and you put down, you know, drums and all the other thing, just kind of layer it. And it's like, it's just all, you know, yeah, man, times 20. I'm actually working on that now. You know, I have like every instrument that other than a guitar, I don't know. We may have to leave the guitar out of it, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got a couple of songs that I've been working. I got a studio at home, so I've actually been doing exactly that. So I'll probably release a 45 and see how it goes before trying to cram an album out there full of Delvon Lamar nonsense. <laughs> one of the things i love about instrumentals by the way is that you know when you when you write a song with lyrics often the title suggests itself but when you write a song without lyrics it's just an instrumental it seems like it kind of gives you free reign to just call it whatever you want like what's the what's the art of coming up with a great instrumental song title? Every single song on every single album and not on an album has a meaning behind it. There's always something like, you know, you take pull your pants up. Right. That's I was gonna ask about that. That was a, that's a reference to Jimmy James. Like whenever <laughs> we're on tour, Oh my God. Like, I'm not talking about like just a little bit of your butt crack is showing. <laughs> Sometimes it's like the whole thing. Like he'd be trying to put his guitar in the overhead and stuff. And we're just like, Oh God, dude, pull your pants up, man. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> well, pull your pants up is a better song title than guitarist butt crack. Yeah. Yeah. See, and that's the thing is like every single song has a, a meaning behind. There's a story behind every single song. So on close, but no cigar, you got Raymond brings the greens. Yep. Raymond is a bartender from the club we started at. Uh, I used to go there and, uh, I, every week, every Tuesday we played, I used to always order the greens. Uh, cause the greens are delicious. I get it before we, uh, start playing and to the point where Raymond would just start bringing greens without me asking for it. Just like, as <laughs> soon as I get there, there's like play the greens right next to me. And so we named that song Raymond brings the greens. So did that song specifically remind you of those? Or were you just like, we need a title. Hey, wait a minute. I was just, you know, we just ate Raymond just brought me those greens. Uh, at some point, like when we started, he started bringing the greens, like it's been a couple of, couple of times, you know, I was like, uh, you know, we started playing this groove and Raymond really liked it. And, uh, it just like kind of blossomed into Raymond brings the greens. Like hmm. we were just like, it just started messing with that groove. And then he was like, yeah. And so it became Raymond Breeds of Greens. Yeah, and on I Told You So, you had Fosho. Fosho. <laughs> That's a, that was actually came up by the, by Jason Gray, the studio engineer. Cause, and this has happened a couple of times. He actually picked a couple of our songs. Um, but, shoot, I can't remember what he asked me. He asked me a question, and, and I answered it. And he was like, all right, Fosho. And it, that just so happens. I was trying to figure out a melody to that groove when we were playing it. And I was like, that'd be a dope song title. <laughs> <laughs> so he just kind of like randomly answered my question or he responded to the answer to the question with faux show. And that just became the song title. And on your live at KEXP album, you, you tell a pretty funny story about the song title of Tacoma black party. 
Yeah, that's uh, Miss Amy Novo over here. She uh, so she threw a block party in the neighborhood of Tacoma, Washington, because we used to live in Tacoma. And uh, it was the first time she got all the neighbors. She was like super stoked. And it was a beautiful event. Um, she just got all the neighbors. It was a big potluck. And, you know, and we lived in this little dead end quota sack. And, uh, and she was like on the, you know, we had a little PA system. And she was like trying to tell everybody, thank you for coming to the first annual Tacoma block party. But, you know, sometimes she says things <laughs> in weird ways. So maybe it's her accent. I don't really know what it is, but it's like, shit. so she turned to Jimmy James and Jimmy was like, he said Tacoma black party. She was like, no, I did not. And they're like sitting there arguing back and forth. She's like, <laughs> I didn't say that. And then she turned to the audience and like uh, audience was like, you did. <laughs> so I said, all right, we definitely got to write that. So that's Tacoma black party. Did you have a song at that point or did you write the song with that in your head then? I wrote that song with that in my head. It was like Tacoma black party. Cause it seems like I was trying to think of something that sounds like a party in this song. And then that's, that's the groove. Yeah. So I was like, all right, that's Tacoma black party right there. So record store day, I picked this up the 45 RPM double live, uh, live in Loveland album mm -hmm. that coal mine put out on the pink, uh, uh, vinyl. And the last song on there is that song. And it's like yeah. 10 minutes long. And it's really this, this, <laughs> it's funny, actually, they have the, um, you know, inside here, they have like sort of a facsimile of the tape and, uh, uh for Tacoma black party on, in all caps, someone just wrote, Holy shit to two exclamation points <laughs> and minutes plus. Yeah. 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 That's a, and believe it or not, that's, that's probably short for that tune. <laughs> we, uh, we, that's one of the, you know, we like to sometimes close out with that tune and it's just like, you know, I'm a firm believer, you know, you play until you're done, man. Like if the audience is digging it, you're not bored. They're not bored. Do your thing. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't put restrictions or time limits on what people do. And sometimes we rock that song out for like, we played that song for like 20 minutes before and it never got boring. It's like, people just like rage on that tune. And so uh, yeah, 10 minutes was short. <laughs> so for that coming out for record store day, are you involved with that? Like talking to coal mine saying, Hey, it'd be cool to put out this live set, you know, let you know, remind people what we do live since, you know, we were like not touring for a while. Well, that was actually, well, that was recorded in 2018. Yeah, um, no, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, it's been in the can for a long time. Uh, you know, we didn't really know what was going to happen with that. Um, cause that, that was our first, our very first cross country tour It was the record store day tour. And, uh, we wanted to end that tour in Loveland, Ohio, where the record label is on record store day. And we were just going to record and basically see what happens. Cause we didn't have any live recordings at that point. And, uh, and it's funny too, because, uh, Terry, which is the owner, one of the owners of uh coal mine, Terry Cole, he literally called like the day before we left. It was like the night before we left. And he was like, uh, you know, it'd be really cool if you guys can come here and, uh, play that song, Loveland, the Charles Wright tune, uh, Loveland. And, uh, I was like, well, dude, like, I don't even have any time to learn it. We're just like, you know, we're literally the organs in the van. We're going to leave in it like, like five hours. I'm just like, um, all right, I'll see what we can do. And, uh, so like when we got to, like, we literally had to learn it, just listening to it in the car. Like we never played it before recording it. Really? And so, yeah. So that's why I, I do got a couple of mistakes in that tune because I was trying to remember it at the same time because never actually played it. And actually 
we actually recorded it twice that day because I completely butchered it the first time. <laughs> it's like I wasn't even close. <laughs> yeah, the first one was it was pretty bad, but uh, the second time uh, I made it through. There's there's some mistakes in there, but uh, literally I just had to learn it by listening to it while while we drove. <laughs> you know, so. How important is it, by the way, for you guys to be on a label that has, you know, a pretty specific aesthetic that fe- that really feels in line with what you guys are doing? It, it feels good, man. Like, man, those guys really know their stuff, man. Like they, they have a specific thing and, uh, I'm glad they, they dig what we're doing. I don't know. It, it's kind of an honor to be a part of that record label. You know, they, Cause they have an ear for things and they're very, they're very particular with what they put out. And so just, it's kind of honored that, that we fit in that, their, their ears. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Those cool cats, man. Those guys, Terry and Bob Cole, man, those guys, they're good dudes. Well, and again, it's one of these things where it's, cause I don't consider it throwback music, but it's music that, relates to this aesthetic that I like that was consistent with, you know, records that were coming out, you know, 60s, 70s, whatever, you know, whether it's jazz stuff, soul stuff. Um, but it doesn't feel, but it doesn't feel like it's, uh, you know, it's not like a museum piece or something. It's something that's like very alive, but it's also using sounds that, that I really like, you know, just like there will be bands that sound, you know, use melodies like the Beatles did or something. So. Yeah. And that's one of the things of like, we try to, you know, honor the music, the, the original form of this music at the same time, bring it into kind of ourselves and more of a modern. So it's, it's kind of, a, I feel it's a mix of like the old school with the new school. And I feel like we kind of basically threaded the needle to be right in the middle of that. You know, it's not overly modern, and it's not overly old school. So I don't know if that's my opinion, but I don't listen to it. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, something that's happened in sort of pop music, you know, and like, like, you know, in a lot of different sort of genres right now is that, is that melody has kind of become less important than other elements. And so to hear sort of melody at the forefront, even, even while rhythm is also very much rhythm and groove are very much prominent in what you're doing, but mixing that with melody is something that in a way it's like, Oh, that's, that's refreshing. Cause you don't really hear a lot of, I don't know. I might just be sounding like an old guy by even saying that, but I don't hear like a lot of that sort of melodicism mixed in with the grooves, you know, in a lot of modern music. Yeah. And, and I would agree with you. Um, you know, and that's the thing, like I said, man, keep it simple and melodic. I'm, I'm all about melodies, man. Like I, like I got a jazz background. I can play all these bebop lines. I can swing, I can do all of that stuff, but like you play all those notes. What are you saying? You know, it's like, you know, those notes, it's hard for people to re- relate to like people slapping organ keys and like all that. It's cool. It's good show, but you know, what are you, what are you actually saying? And that's the point I'd rather, I'd rather talk with my instrument than put on a show. Yeah. I think it's on the coal mine uh, webpage for you guys, where it says that, uh, that you guys specialize in the lost art of feel good music. And yeah. I thought on one hand, that's really cool. And then I thought on, felt thought on the other hand, why should that be a lost art? You know, isn't that what music most of the time is supposed to do? Yeah, you figure, but uh, I feel there's less and less of music feeling good nowadays. You know, it seems like, especially when you get the more popular music, it's like, I don't know. I feel people are putting out music to sell records, you know, they just, and, and, you know, more power to them. They, they want the dollars. That's fine. Me personally, man, I'm all, I'm all, all about the music, man. So like if I didn't make a dime from it, I do it the same way because I'm a, you know, music is first and foremost. And I like my music to feel good. I like to bring people to that music and feel that music. Like, like I said, whether I make a dime or not, I wasn't making money before this. <laughs> so, and I've been doing the same thing, you know, like I would pay money to play because, you know, I like, I, I have a deep bond with music and music should be feel good music. And, uh, 
And there are some people out there doing it. Don't get me wrong. It's not like nobody's doing it. But I, I feel like it's starting to get fewer and far between. It's like, like I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just the music's got to feel good, or I'm not interested. I feel like over the last couple of years, I've become more aware of how emotionally reliant on music I am, and uh, you know, you just sort of it it it's, it's become sort of more prominent takes up a more prominent place in whatever my psyche is because I sort of need it, especially when there's all this other stuff going on. Yeah. And that's exactly. And like we called, we called our music feel good music before, you know, before the pandemic and everything getting shut down, but it really makes you appreciate music even more. Uh, when all that went down, like, it's like, like some people didn't really realize how important it was to them until it was gone, you know, or it was on hiatus, you know, then you can really sit back and appreciate that. And like, I've already, always appreciated, but even for me, even though I've always been about feel good music and just music for the soul, it, like even when I don't like, when it wasn't there, like when I couldn't go see shows and things like that, even though I'm a musician, it, it, it took a toll, man. It, it was, it got a little depressing and sad and I missed it so much. Um, so that's even for me, like as an artist, it was kind of the same, you know? Do you feel like now that you're back, you know, back on the road and everything that you're able to sort of pick up where you started or is everything a little bit still not quite, not quite there yet in terms of the clubs coming back, the audiences coming back, uh, you know, feeling secure in, you know, touring and all of that. Uh, it, it's coming back. You know, I do, you gotta say like some areas, you know, depends on where you're going is still a little hesitant to go out. You know, people are still on the hesitant side and, uh, uh, but we've been, we've been doing it and it's going, it's going pretty good. It's going better than we thought it would. Like, you know, we've had some shows like cancel, you know, at the last minute because, you know, maybe ticket sales or whatever, or restrictions came back or, you know, things like that. But, uh, people, it's been, it, it's getting there. It's getting there. A lot, a lot of bands have gotten sick. I mean, they've gone on the road and then like members of the band, they have to cancel shows because it, you know, you get COVID going through the, whether it's the crew or the band itself. Have yeah. You, have you had to deal with that? Yeah, we did actually. Um, one of the, uh, Jimmy James that ended up getting COVID around, uh, we were supposed to do a New Year's Eve show uh, with Monophonics down in San Francisco. So we had to cancel those those shows. Like we won't, I, I will never, in, in tend, I will never, my integrity is way too strong for that. If anything like that comes up, you cancel the show. I'm not going to go out there and, and do anything like that. That ain't, that ain't in my MO. And we did get some backlash about that. Like some people were really mad because they bought tickets to uh, come and see us. And we were just like, sorry. I mean, I, I apologize, but I would never knowingly put somebody in that kind of situation. I would never do that. There was a lot of that happening around New Year's, around the holidays this past year. There were a ton of shows being canceled all, all across the board. So, yeah, yeah. So, but like we try to get out there and be as safe as possible. We can, we can only control what we can control. And so like Amy is very, she's very strict <laughs> with like the mask and, the, you know, sanitize, we got sanitizers and masks and all that. And, you know, and we do the best we can do. Um, yeah, but at the end of the day, it's up to, you know, it's not up to us, but we can only do what we can do to protect ourselves and the people around us. I did hear Amy in the background. How is it sort of, you know, you guys being professional and personal partners? How does that work out? Mm -hmm. I don't mix. Uh, I know. She doesn't mix the business with, with, with pleasure. <laughs> uh, you know, we, um, 
we're very fortunate, like, because this isn't the first job we've ever worked together on. Um, we, we used to build kayaks together um, back in wow. the day. Yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, so we've always had a good working relationship, you know. Um, uh, but when we're on the road, you know, it's it's business for us you know and uh so we try to keep our personal lives separate from the business most of the time it works sometimes it doesn't you know but that's life what are you gonna do thank you so much you know you your your feel good music works on me and i really appreciate it i appreciate you talking to me um and next time you're in chicago i don't know if you have plans to come back here but i'll definitely come wherever you're, if you're anywhere nearby we're going to be at space in August. We just confirmed that. I think it's the 17th, 18th, somewhere around there. Uh, it's, it's on our website. Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, yeah, can't wait to hear the, the, uh, the album with friends, the DLO three with friends and, yeah. uh, and all the other stuff you got on with the, all of your other 110 songs that you're going to It'll be out eventually. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for episode 33 of Carol Pop. Thanks so much to Delvon Lamar for such a lively conversation and even livelier albums that I've been cranking up over the past several months. The feel-good music part works for me. Go to DelvonLamarOrganTrio.com, there are two R's in Lamar, to order music and merch and to get information about the band's tour dates. They've got shows coming up in Richmond, Virginia, Washington, D.C., New York, and Boston, and those of us in the Chicago area can catch them at Space in Evanston on August 17th. Carol Pop is produced by Chris Wake, who also has an intuitive way with a groove. I'm Mark Caro. Please follow me on Twitter at Mark Caro, at M-A-R-K-C-A-R-O, and visit the Carol Pop website, carolpop.com, for posts about music, movies, and food, and also this Carol Pop podcast. Thanks. Thanks.